This is Negotiate X Podcast, show number 58, part A. You're listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online. Hey everyone, welcome to the Negotiate X podcast. I am your co-host and co-founder, Nolan Martin. With me today is my good friend and partner in crime, Aram Denisian. How are you doing today, sir? I'm good, Nolan. I don't know what crimes you've been committing. I'm, I'm innocent, though. <laughs> All right, great. Well, let's introduce Scott. The fact that we got a police negotiator on here today, we might not want to be admitting to any uh, any crimes, known or unknown. <laughs> yep, for sure. Folks, excited to introduce Scott Tillema to you today. He's a co-founder and senior associate with the Negotiations Collective, an FBI-trained hostage and crisis negotiator. Scott is an internationally recognized practitioner, advisor, trainer, and speaker. He has negotiated in highly charged, high-stakes situations that required sensitivity to the human element. Clients, audiences, and students alike find Scott's teachings insightful, inspiring, and pragmatic, and we know you will today as well. Scott worked as a negotiator with one of the largest regional SWAT teams in the U.S. and has been teaching negotiation for the past 10 years. He studied negotiation at the Harvard Program on Negotiation at IMD Business School and continues to receive training from the world's top hostage negotiators. Scott travels around the world training and speaking to audiences in both law enforcement and the private sector. In 2016, he gave a TEDx talk titled The Secrets of Hostage Negotiators, which has received over 1 million views. Let's start by talking a little bit about your journey in the negotiation field. What were some of the key milestones along the way? Yeah, I look back and I've been asked that question before. And I think that a lot of the beginnings of this come from going to the school, uh, going to school at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. It's a huge school, tens of thousands of students. And I realized that I was fairly sheltered in my childhood. I grew up in uh, suburban Milwaukee and had kind of the same friends and we were all kind of the same. And when I get to Wisconsin-Madison, I'm surrounded by people who are very different, people from all over the country, all over the world. And uh, it became interesting to learn about them, their cultures, their habits, the things that they're doing, and maybe learn why they're doing it. And just because everybody isn't like me doesn't mean that they're bad. It just means they're different. And for me, I was curious about it. And some people are afraid of people who are different than them. And, you know, for me, I, I was just very curious by that. So I went on to study behavioral science um, as uh, one of my majors. And then a few years later, I went back to school, got a master's in psychology, just because I was very interested in learning what people do, why they think the way they think, and um, how we can get them to move in our direction, particularly doing negotiations work. It's not just okay enough to be nice to them or ask them nicely to do things. We really have to have a good understanding of psychology, human behavior to get the outcomes that we need. When, at what point then, as you went through your kind of education process, did you join the police force? So in 2002, I became a police officer. And at that time, I had my bachelor's in behavioral science. 
I enjoyed working with people. Now doing police work, now truly we're meeting all aspects of society, people from all different cultures, all different spectrums of age, different spectrums of financial benefit, all kinds of different people. So it, it just grew my interest in people. So I went back to school after a, a few years working um, as a police officer. And then about five years in, in 2007, I was trained by the FBI in crisis and hostage negotiation. And for me, that was the perfect blend of psychology, people, communication, all coming together. And that's when I, I realized I might be able to really contribute at a high level in some uh, fairly dangerous situations. So tell us about your first crisis negotiation and any lessons you learned from that experience? Yeah, I remember this one pretty clearly. It was five in the morning <laughs> on a Sunday. We were called to an apartment. It was a, a couple, a domestic situation. A couple had been arguing and some neighbors had called in because they heard some uh, violence and some screaming. And when police officers got there, they could hear outside a door a woman saying, help me, let me go. And then they could hear sound of duct tape being unrolled and bullet being racked into a gun. So they decided to take a tactical position, call for the SWAT team. And as I was driving there, I didn't have much concern that I'd be the person on the phone. I was new on the team. Um, I never led a negotiation before, so I wasn't too worried about it. But when I got there, my team lead, Patty, she told me, all right, Scott, you got this one. You're going to be on the phone. And I, I remember being nervous. I remember my hands shaking and I was hoping nobody would notice that this was going to be the most important conversation of my life up to this point. Right. And, and I knew that if I didn't perform well and use my negotiation techniques and strategy and skill, you know, somebody could be killed. Right. So what I should have been doing on that Sunday morning was going to church. I had a date set up because a week before that, on that Sunday, I had met an attractive young woman at church and we had talked a little bit and then we had set up a lunch date the following Sunday. So I didn't have her number. I didn't need it. I just knew her name and I just had to get to church that week. It seems easy enough, right? And then this came up and I knew I wasn't going to make it because this is going long. You know, in this conversation, you know, I'm talking to this guy and Things started to shift when he started telling me, you know, hey, I'm a little bit afraid too. You know, I don't mean to hurt her. We have a relationship. He explained that they were out in Chicago drinking that Saturday night. Once you get that that shift in conversation from a monologue into a dialogue, that's when you start to realize, hey, I'm going to be able to get some influence here. And sure enough, after a, a bit more conversation, he agreed to come out. He uh, he let the woman go. She's safe and sound. And we, we turned the scene back over to the local police department and it was good, but it was too late for me to get to church that day. So it was a long week. The following week I did get there and uh, I saw this young lady. She wasn't happy to see me, <laughs> but you know, I went and I had some explaining to do and I use all these skills of negotiation again, but you know, I got the date, which is awesome. But uh, I, I think maybe only a date or two because I, I was convinced that she never really believed that I was a <laughs> And, you know, I'm trying to explain to her. I was like, no, watch the news. I, I was this guy doing this thing. And she's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, so, sure, sure you were. Sure you were. Yeah, right. <laughs> she, she said she appreciated the effort in the excuse. So I, I guess. <laughs> well, that works. So, so, Scott, as we talked to, you know, your first time in negotiation and, and training up to this point, or even as you continue to mature throughout your career, what did you see as an essential steps of crisis negotiations? Yeah, and, and this comes together 
from from not only the the educational pieces but having done this type of work and for me i work off of four principles of understanding timing delivery and respect and not only knowing what these principles are but how we visualize them and for me i visualize them in a circle and the reason the circle is important i say this i want you to see this and the circle represents the bond that we have that we are trying to create with the people that we're talking to our goal is not to get someone to to free the hostage or drop the gun or put the knife down our goal is to form a bond and once we have that bond and a connection then we have the influence then we can get where we need to go so the principles are understanding we always try to work to understand and this comes from the active listening skills um, but it's more than that because negotiation has evolved 30 years ago when the behavioral change stairway model came out active listening is a foundational piece but we need more than that now because we're having conversations by facetime by skype by zoom this this whole next generation is completely comfortable being on camera this is how they're being raised well maybe the rest of us who are a little bit older this is still a bit new to us so not only do we have to listen but are we paying attention to gestures facial expressions body language everything we see here is providing us with information second principle is timing knowing when to deliver your message I think that not only can you not get what you want, but you can hurt your position if your timing's off. I remember negotiating with a guy who was in his house and he started popping off rounds and the SWAT team's calling out, hey, we got shots fired. And he's really, really angry. And I think, is this the time to tell him, hey, put the gun down, you just need to come out? Of course not, because we need to attend to his emotion and what's going on with him here first. What's, what's important right now? And then the delivery, I don't want to minimize the words and the content of what's being said, but if you're preparing for your negotiation, you're already putting together your content. Watching people under stress, they don't have any awareness of their delivery. And I'm talking the rate, the rhythm, the pressure, the volume, the tone. These are things that we can adjust in our delivery to let people experience us differently. And then respect, I think this is a piece that most people who are successful and professional get yes please no thank you yes sir no ma'am but respect is more than just being polite it is about emotion and understanding that we make decisions based on emotion not just logic and reasoning and if we can understand behavioral economics cognitive biases and all these things that influence how we make these decisions then we are going to get better at respecting this person, having them feel respected and giving them a bit of autonomy to let them choose the outcome while we're kind of working in the background as a trusted coach. But the reason that you have to see the circle, I do scenario-based training with police officers. I work with them. And um, one of the scenarios we run is a bad day, the bad day scenario, where they're looking for a guy who is suicidal and on the role player. And, and I come out at them and I got a knife to my neck and they come at me. And of course, we're going to get the tactics first to make sure that tactically they're correct. But the focus of this isn't tactics. It's about having a crisis negotiation. And they just go to, they default to this behavioral change step of put the knife down, put the knife down. I order you to put the knife down and it never works. Right. right. So how about we take a time out and say, think about your mindset instead of mm -hmm. getting this person to drop the knife make your goal to be to form a bond and form a connection. And once you form a bond, then you got influence. 
So then they start asking, well, how do I form that bond? And we teach them these principles of understanding, timing, deliver, and respect. And it becomes a little bit easier for them. And they realize I can find success if I've got this structure, this mental model that I can use during these difficult conversations. So thanks for sharing that, Scott. There's a ton of value there. Really appreciate it. So do these steps have application in the corporate world or public sector or even people's individual lives? Of course, because we're always trying to get what we want. As leaders, we have a team. We have to drive ourselves, our team, our business to success. And how can we do that if we're just if we're just guessing and doing what, what we think is right? I trust that there's a lot of people who are, are doing what they feel is good, um, but sometimes they're not effective as leaders. So why not give them the tools of influence to help them get to where they want to go so they can be successful? It's tough to get this criticism. It's tough to get feedback sometimes, but ultimately, what is your goal? And that's what I say in negotiations. What is your goal? If it's about being right, if it's about your ego, you shouldn't be engaging in negotiations, right? Because it's not about you. It's about the people that we're working with. So think about that. It's not about you. It's about the people you serve. That's great. Thank you. We know you get this question a million times. I know that because I was watching your TEDx talk, which is fantastic. People need to go see that. Watch some of your other interviews too, Scott. But I wanted to ask you, because I think you have a great response. I, I wanted to have it on here. But you know, what is it that you magically say that gets people to come out? Well, there, there's no there's no magic phrase, right? Everybody wants to know, hey, what's this one thing you say? I can, I can share with you one story. When I get into negotiations, there, there's kind of a script we follow to get started. Hi, my name is Scott. It's a personal introduction. I'm with the police department, so identifying you're not from the, the radio show or whatever. Hi, my name's Scott. I'm with the police department. I'd like to help. Some trainers say, well, don't say help because it feels like you know, there's a power differential. Hi, my name's Scott. I'm with the police department. I, I'd like to help. Uh, is everybody okay in there? And now we're starting to create the, the question and then a statement of purpose very early. You know, I'd like for you to come out and speak with me so we can get this resolved. And that's kind of my opening script. And then after that, I go to take my boots off. And the reason is because you want to get comfortable. The FBI says that these things statistically last two to four hours. So this isn't going to be a quick conversation and it shouldn't. There's an important process that needs to occur. But in one of these uh, negotiations, after I say, you know, I'd like for you to come out and speak with me so we can get this resolved. The guy goes, OK. I was like, what do you mean, OK? And uh, he goes, yeah, I'll come out. And so I let the arrest team know, hey, this guy's coming out. And uh, sure enough, he did. And I remember driving home that night or that day, and it, it was Christmas Eve. It was cold and snowy. I just kind of remember feeling, eh, you know, I got the outcome that I wanted, which is a safe and peaceful surrender. But the process wasn't there. And this is what's called the IKEA effect and cognitive bias, that I didn't work very hard. So the outcome has no value. And the Ikea effect says we, you, you get this furniture that's got a guy with the, the Allen wrench and there's not even directions in any language. And you work really hard to put this shelf together for $29. You built this bookcase and it's not quite straight, not very good, but you're so proud. You tell everybody, hey, come look at my bookcase. And it's the <laughs> Ikea effect. Anybody could have gotten on the phone with this guy and said, hey, I want you to come out so we can get this resolved. And he would have. He was just waiting for that invitation, I guess, or he didn't, he didn't want to ha have a uh, standoff. So sometimes... You just need to ask. And one of the things that we train in our negotiation class is don't worry about no. Let's stop being afraid of the word no. And in 
police and crisis negotiation, that's just where we begin. Like, I just expect we begin with no. And so many people are afraid just to hear the word no, that they won't even ask. Yeah. And that's where I, again, say you're not negotiating for you. It's not being selfish. It's about your team, your business, the people you serve, and you can get more. Yeah. And that's that shift in mindset that I think you were talking about before, whether it's what your mindset around your goal, your mindset, as you're just saying right now, around how I respond to a no, and even your your mindset around process, which you were talking about so much earlier in terms of timing and delivery and being very intentional with kind of how you negotiate. Yeah, the process is critical that so many people are happy just that they had someone who listened to them. As a, a supervisor and in my police department for many years, people will be surprised to know that sometimes people call in and want to talk to a supervisor because they're dissatisfied with the service that they received. No problem. But I've learned that by thoughtfully listening to them and letting them talk and letting them share everything they need to share and then asking the question, and what else? And what else? We get everything out. Sometimes that's, I would say more than half the time, just being listened to goes a long way. There's, you know what? I might not be able to get you what you need, but I want to listen to you. I, I want to hear what you have to say, because if we can do things better, I need to know that. And sometimes they don't believe that at first, but when you spend time truly listening to them, they, they've almost exhausted themselves and it's tough for them ha to have a lot of emotion left to come and attack you when you're such a good listener. So it takes time. It's difficult to do because you need to be patient. And I realize I'm not very good at being patient sometimes, <laughs> uh, but who among us is. Right. <laughs> so Scott, you've talked about the importance of seeking to understand others and showing other people respect. Is it actually possible to teach or train people to do these things? Yeah. And I, I heard you ask Kirk Cannell a similar question on a earlier episode about, can you teach these things? Of course you can teach them to the level that they are received. Now this is going to be a little bit different. So, I mean, some of it falls on having good instruction and some of it falls on the student to say, how good do I want to be? Because we can learn all of these things. And sometimes we just dismiss it and say, hey, I'm not very good at it, so I'm not going to do it. And sometimes we don't get the results we're looking for. You go to the gym one time, hey, I'm not seeing any muscles. What's going on? I'm, I'm done with that. You really need to commit yourself. And naturally, some people are better at this than others. But for me, this is a skill that I've had to work hard on developing so I know that it can be done. And it's just a matter of, are you going to take the time and effort to commit to being good at this? And having seen the results, and for me, this is life or death. I mean, people are truly alive today based on conversations that my negotiation team has had with them. So I know that this is powerful tools and tactics to get what you want. So why wouldn't you put in your very best effort to be great at this? And people get confused. They say, you know, I'm, I'm already a good communicator. I'm doing it all the time. Well, just because we're doing it doesn't mean that we're great at it. Yeah. And, and I go back to, you mentioned your first crisis negotiation situation, the tremendous amount of stress that you felt and that kind of that awareness that, wow, it's one thing to be trained. It's another thing to do this under a, you know, some high stakes situation. How do you then teach people? I mean, is there another kind of level up to these teaching of these skills when you're talking about adding, adding the, 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 the pressure of stress and time and, and everything else? Yeah. And sometimes it can be more stressful in the classroom, especially 
in groups like law enforcement and military because the worst thing that you can do is embarrass yourself or fail in front of your peers, right? Like that just cannot be done. So to put them in the chair in front of the class and have everybody watching, or sometimes we'll have people stand up and kind of come around the, the folks in the middle, what we're doing is we're putting a lot of eyes on them and they realize people are watching and they're critiquing them. And this generates a, a bit of pressure for them. So it's not just the casual conversation where we're here having a chat that they really have to realize, okay, when I'm under stress, I'm not as creative as I should be. I'm not nearly as mindful or as thoughtful as I am when I'm just nice and chill. So can we get to a point where this is just habit? And Kirk was talking about the Scotland course that it's 7 a.m. till 2 a.m. This is developing habits. So you are completely exhausted and tired. I love that idea. And, you know, in, in the U.S., in these police training classes, it's eight hours and they want a long lunch and they want to get out early. And right. it's not so much about the results. Hey, what came of it? It's did you go to this? Check the box. Yes, you went to this. So we need to do better in training that as a whole. But th there's a lot of folks out there who choose to say, I am going to be great at this. I'm going to put in whatever time, money, and resources I need to become great. Yeah, that's a great level of commitment. You've, you know, you mentioned some of this in this interview, and I've heard you say some of this before about, in addition to commitment, kind of the, the need in negotiation, and it's probably a skill we develop, is to control ourselves first, rather than trying to control the other person. Why is that so important to become a more effective negotiator? Yeah, watching people negotiate, you see how emotions impact the outcome. And it's not because of the other person. It's watching the person that we are teaching, watching them get frustrated, watching them get emotional. And if I can find out what moves you emotionally, that's powerful for me because now I can start to push that button when I need to. And when I can get you off of your game, that's going to become a real problem for you. We're making decisions based on emotion. Now you're frustrated. You're going to make concessions you don't want to make. You're going to give up things you don't want to give up. You're going to say things that you shouldn't be saying. Your power comes from information and options. I'm going to keep digging up that information from you. And if you are not mindful of what's being said, your body language, your tells, how I'm getting information from you when you give me that, that look of contempt, when you give me one of these right here. All these things could be little pieces of information, especially if I got a baseline on you. Now I'm studying all these things and you're giving away information. So let's be in complete control of ourselves. Sometimes we can't control the other person. I, I can't make them come out. And one of the most powerful things that I heard in a hostage negotiation one time was the officer who was negotiating said, you are in control in there and we are not. And I thought, how powerful is that? Now, the rest of that sentence is, and we are in control out here. We own this out here. But by saying you are in control in there, all of a sudden we gave a little bit of psychological room to breathe. We gave them a little bit of space to say, you don't need to prove to me that you're in charge. You don't need to prove that you're in control because you are. And we're acknowledging that. And in some classes, I have negotiators push back and say, we can't ever tell somebody that they're in control. Right. Well, the reality is they are in control of themselves. So instead of worrying so much about trying to control somebody else, let's control ourselves. And once we manage ourselves, now we can get to work on pulling the strings on somebody else. 
Yeah, I can imagine you get pushback. We would agree with you on the power of autonomy and and recognize because it's it's a true thing, right? I mean, what, as you said, it is a true thing to pretend like it's not seems artificial and, and, and likely harmful. Right. Especially now in society coming out of COVID and everything that we've gone through as a country and, and in the world, people really are pushing back to try to get some of those freedoms. It's tough when we're told, hey, you can't go to work, your kids can't go to school, you can't travel to the state, you can't go to this place for dinner, you can't travel out of the country for sure. We've lost some of those freedoms. So people are really asserting themselves at higher levels because they, they want that autonomy, the freedom to do so. So why not give them some choice? I think it's very powerful instead of saying, hey, will you take this deal, yes or no? How about this package, this package, and this package? What's more attractive to you? And now we're digging to beyond the position and we're seeing their interest. What about that package is interesting to you? So when you come out, would you wanna come out the, the garage door or come out through the back door? And, and we're just giving autonomy and choice and, and planting not if, but when. Hey everyone, Nolan here. I have to jump in and end today's podcast for part A of the show. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the Negotiate X podcast if you haven't already. And also join us next week for part B of the show. Thank you for listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online.